welcome back, guys. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is called Tell It Straight. My name is Philip Mona. Boy, do I have some content to cover today. I'm recording this on Monday the 18th. We just wrapped up the divisional round of the playoffs. And wow, what a weekend of football. Today, I'm going to talk about the winners and losers of all four games and what led to each outcome, in my opinion. I'm going to talk about some seemingly popular narratives that I'd like to debunk. And I'm going to readdress my pregame predictions and compare them to what actually happened. Rams versus Packers. Aaron freaking Rodgers. If, if that man doesn't win the MVP, uh, it's because the NFL is rigged and Joe Biden stole his votes. I'm just kidding. Don't get triggered. I'm just joking. But seriously, wow, though. I mean, I can't watch Aaron Rodgers play and not just be amazed at how he delivers the football. I mean, the timing, the accuracy, the way he spins it, it's just exceptional to watch. Um, I have a few plays that I have written down that I think summarize the game and opened up pretty early with the Rams 3-0. and out. And I thought to myself, yeah, that seems about right. I expected the Rams to be somewhat limited this game on offense, considering a few factors. One, Jared Goff's hand injury. Two, the fact that they're playing in the snow. And three, they're playing in Lambeau. So another play, Devontae Adams' one-yard touchdown reception versus Jalen Ramsey. So Devontae Adams versus Jalen Ramsey was going to be a big matchup coming into this game because Devontae Adams is, in my opinion, the best receiver in football. And Jalen Ramsey is a top five corner. Jalen Ramsey talks a lot of trash and deservedly so. He's he's elite athlete. I've kind of talked about it in my last episode. He's really, really good. So the reason why this play was significant was because Jalen Ramsey had Devontae Adams in man coverage. And if you're not familiar with coverages, there's t- there's traditionally two um, forms of coverage. You have man and zone. In zone coverage, you have a specific player that drops into an area and they just have a small portion of the field that they're designated to um, cover anyone that comes in that territory. Usually they'll have a couple deep defenders to take any deep passes and a few guys underneath. The designs in which those are, they vary depending on which defense and different schemes and stuff like that. Man coverage is where one person is assigned to cover one other person. Sometimes there's double coverage, but for the most part, you'll have linebackers. They'll be matched up on um, running backs. Sometimes safeties will be on um, running backs, depending on who, if there's blitzing or things like that, but usually it'll be linebacks versus the running backs and the safeties versus the tight ends. Sometimes you'll have linebackers versus the tight ends, but for the most part, then it's going to be corners on the wide receivers. So the reason why that's significant for this game is because Jalen Ramsey, it was talked about whether he would have Devontae Adams in man coverage all game or not, because usually you like to do that. When you have uh, a top receiver, you want to cover them with your best corner or you want to double cover them usually. And a lot of times, man coverage is the most efficient way to take a receiver out of the game. You will lock him up with your best guy. That's what the Rams try to do a lot with Jalen Ramsey. Didn't work. Devontae Adams, too good. Whether he was matched up with um, Ramsey or not, he won most of his matchups. And that led to the Packers having the game that they did. But the specific one-yard touchdown reception, they had Devontae Adams on like a little sideline route. He runs to the backfield in motion and then they snap it. So that's designed to kind of pick off Ramsey because he has to run past all the people that are between him and the point that Devontae Adams is running to um, near the edge. And he got the separation he needed with a little kind of pick rub concept and got the touchdown. And Jalen Ramsey was upset after the play. Uh, the cameras found him on the sideline yelling because he expected to pass off that coverage to somebody else. But that's what kind of motion does pre-snap is it, it confuses the defense and um, it, it, kind of can make people uh, misinterpret who they're supposed to cover. 
Next play is Aaron Rodgers' one-yard touchdown run. Probably the most exciting one-yard touchdown run you'll ever see. Aaron Rodgers takes a snap. He scrambles right, trying to find someone in the end zone. Leonard Floyd, the outside linebacker, up in his face. Rodgers pumps, gets him to bite. Um, so Floyd jumps in the air to try and bat the ball down. And Rodgers, um, while he's in the air, just scrambles and tucks in the ball in the uh, right corner pylon. And, um, I mean, just incredible to watch. Aaron Rodgers, just a magician with the ball. Um, not the athlete that he once was, but he can still, uh, he can still make it happen. Next play was Alan Lazard dropping a 55 yard would be touchdown pass. And this play kind of shows how bad the Packers drop off is between Devonte Adams and the rest of the wide receiver core, because you just can't drop passes in playoff games, um, especially passes that are wide open and especially passes that are wide open and going to go for a touchdown. Later, he ended up making up with it for the 58-yard touchdown pass that he caught. But, you know, if the game is tighter, if it's a one-possession game and every possession counts, you're in a shootout, which they might end up being next week um, versus Tampa Bay, it can be crucial. So um, that was, to me, just exemplary. I can't believe the Packers drafted Jordan Love in the first round. They traded up to take him, so they wasted their first and second round pick, and they could have taken a receiver for Aaron Rodgers. But, yeah, yeah, that, that, kind of, that play was summer. It could have been bigger in this game, but... The Rams didn't end up uh, making it as close as it could have been. The next play I have down is uh, A.J. Dillon fumbling the ball. Uh, he's the Packers' third running back behind Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Um, he's a rookie. Uh, he took a hit. He fumbled it. Luckily, it fell right um, in Rodgers, right in front of his feet, right where he had given off the snap. Um, and he fell and picked up a couple yards instead of losing two. So that was a big play because... Again, that was that another could have been game-changing play if it doesn't fall right in front of Aaron Rodgers where he was able to easily recover it. You know, that turnovers are huge, especially in playoff games. Momentum's big. And in tight games this year, um, the Packers have been known to make those game-breaking mistakes. I mean, earlier versus the Colts this year, Colts are a playoff team. The Packers lost because Mark Presvaldez-Scantling fumbled the ball. And you can't fumble the ball. I mean, you can't turn the ball over in the playoffs. If you look at another game in the Saints and Buccaneers, Jared Cook, the Saints tight end, fumbled the ball, and they end up losing that game when they were about to probably go up multiple possessions um, and take the lead. They end up losing the lead um, on that possession after they lost it for the turnover. So, I mean, you can't fumble the ball. Or you can't turn the ball over in the playoffs. It's crucial. And um, just there's pretty much Devontae Adams and, and not really a lot else um, in the Packers receiving core. Marcus Elda Scantling and Alan Lazard are just not – not capable number twos, in my opinion. Aaron Rodgers passed from his own end zone. I thought this kind of summarized the struggles for the Rams' defense. I think he actually the ball was snapped in the eight-yard line, but I think between uh, the snap and the drop back that Aaron Rodgers was right near the end zone. And Aaron Donald was on the field at this point. He was rushing the passer, and he couldn't really get any pressure. Um, I think that exemplified the game and that he really struggled this game with that rib injury, and it appeared to hold him back a lot. Sean McVay, the Rams head coach, said that it was going to be a non-issue for Aaron Donald, but Aaron, we know what Aaron Donald can do when he's healthy, and it to anybody who's seen him play before, it just uh, it seemed pretty clear to me that he wasn't 100%. And that was, uh, to me, a telling play that just kind of showed how, how tough the Rams had it uh, trying to rush the passer, because if you don't get pressure on Aaron Rodgers, I mean, it's going to be a long day. And um, yeah, they end up losing the game. My pregame prediction was that the Packers would win 24 to 10. The actual final was 32-18. Um, so I'm going to give myself a little credit here. I was wrong on the number, but I was right on the essence of the way the game played out. 
Um, the Rams had trouble moving the ball, and the Packers didn't have trouble moving the ball. The thing that surprised me most about this game was how dominant the Packers' offensive line was. The Packers just lost their left tackle, David Bakhtiari, who's um, a top three left tackle. I think he's also a top three highest paid player. The Packers' line didn't fall apart. Usually when you lose a key player, I mean, not only a leader for the team because he's been around for a while, but he, I mean, an elite player on your offensive line, not all teams can make up for that loss. Um, the Packers can. They have extreme versatility. I think Billy Turner ended up filling in at left tackle, and they played really solid. And not just solid, they dominated the Rams' front seven. Um, the Packers had like under 180 yards rushing or something like that. I mean, the Rams were the number one scoring defense coming into this game. So surprised to say the least uh, that the Packers were just able to do whatever they wanted on the ground and through the air. I thought it was going to be a tough, a tough time trying to run the ball and they would just have to rely on Aaron Rodgers. But I mean, the Packers uh, trio of running backs, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and AJ Dillon, definitely a formidable trio. They, they play well and they had a great game. Moving on next game, Bills versus the Ravens. Uh, before I get into this game, I want to take a second to congratulate Lamar Jackson. Firstly, because he tied the record for the longest thrown touchdown pass in NFL history. Unfortunately, it just wasn't a touchdown for the Ravens. Um, secondly, because he proved me right about my ability, or excuse me, about his ability to read defenses and deliver the football when teams know you're passing. I talked about it last week. Uh, Lamar just not, just extremely overrated as a passer. Uh, I'm not going to lie, though, as a Bills fan, I was incredibly nervous coming into this game. I was still nervous at the end of the first half, but I wasn't nervous, right, as the Bills went up 17-3 because I knew the Ravens, as I mentioned, they're physically and mentally incapable of completing a comeback win. They don't have the talent, the quarterback, or the scheme. And um, so once once the Bills went up 17-3, I knew it was a wrap. I'm going to rant for a second, though, something that had me kind of fired up this morning, and that's the narrative surrounding Lamar. Now, I talked about the narrative surrounding Lamar in a different episode, but that was about the fact that people were saying that um, he couldn't win a playoff game. And I kind of talked about how the narratives around quarterbacks can be just not measuring up to the things that actually factor into a narrative, but a different narrative about Lamar. I like Lamar as a person. He's a fierce competitor and he's a humble guy. So this isn't one of those criticisms where you just see someone rag in a player because they simply don't like them and because, excuse me, negativity incites attention. Um, so I'm glad he got the proverbial monkey off his back in winning his first playoff game. However, I am so sick and tired of his poor passing performance being defended by NFL talk has on Fox Sports. Um, the narrative that he's not at all to blame just pisses me off immensely. Um, I've seen multiple times people come out and call for Greg Roman, the Ravens offensive coordinator, to be fired, um, insinuating that he's solely to blame for the Ravens offensive struggles. And that's just a lie. If anything, I would argue that it's the exact opposite. Greg Roman should be credited for creating an offensive scheme that allows the Ravens to score as many points as they do, considering who they have at quarterback. In any other system, Lamar would not, not only would he not be a starter, but because he's unable to run a traditional NFL offense that requires your quarterback to consistently read defenses and deliver the ball accurately and on schedule. What I mean when I say on schedule Every pass play has receivers running routes designed to get them away from the defenders so they can catch the ball and advance it down the field. Within these routes is timing that is designed for a certain player to be in a specific area, and the ball should be delivered to him within a amount of time. 
um, that he's open. At this point in his career, Lamar is just unable to execute these simple pass plays on a regular basis. When he completes a pass, it's usually because his first read is wide open and open by such a margin that it does not require him to make any kind of adjustment to his delivery of the football. Otherwise, it's Lamar playing backyard football, and he runs around, dodging and juking the defensive line until there's a coverage bust, and then he'll find someone downfield, or he'll just tuck it and run it. Um, So the fact that Greg Roman has designed an offense that allows Lamar to maximize his ability as an athlete and run the football... um, he just cre- and also the running creates plays that are open because the defense is forced to defend Lamar running the ball. And so that's extremely impressive. So the other thing to consider too is that if an offensive coordinator is fired twice, there's usually a reason behind it. As a passing coordinator, Greg Roman is extremely limited. And if you didn't know that, you must not have paid attention because he got fired from the 49ers and he got fired from the Bills. And pretty much that same reason went for both. Another topic I see being brought up um, defending Lamar is that he doesn't have enough weapons. The funny thing about that is you only really see this argument made by a player who's popular with the media, and I didn't hear this at all for Ryan Tannehill when the Titans lost. The Titans faced the Ravens, and A.J. Dillon is the Titans' number one receiver, but he was injured this game with a knee injury, so he wasn't 100%. Their second receiver, Corey Davis, he was out, and they really don't have a lot of talent behind that. They have a tight end, Johnny Smith. He dropped a couple passes, I think. They really just didn't have a lot to work with, but I didn't hear a single person advocating for Ryan Tannehill that he needs more weapons after that game. But the Ravens receivers are in order of talent according to their receiving threat. Um, Marquise Goodwin, excuse me, Marquise Brown, um, they also call him Hollywood Brown. Number two receiving threat, I would say is tight end the Mark Andrews. Uh, Number three receiving threat, I would say is the slot receiver Willie Sneed, former Saint. Um, Four is Miles Boykin. Five would be Des Bryant and six, Devin DuVernay, who is the rookie receiver. Well, they might not be a top 10 unit as far as talent is concerned. They're also a running football team. So it would be an extremely poor allocation of resources if they had a stacked receiving core and they ran the ball 40 times a game. But also, you want to run the ball 40 times a game because you have Lamar at quarterback and because of the offense that employ that maximizes his strength. So I also talked about last episode. They lost three of the four games in which Lamar attempted 28 or more passes. So it's kind of proven that if he throws the ball a lot, they're not winning the game. And if you want to say one thing about Greg Roman or the Ravens coaching staff, it's that they're really not utilizing their weapons correctly. Um, Des Bryant was a star on the Cowboys for a few years, and he made his name in the NFL by making contested catches, usually on jump balls or a lot of inside routes like posts or things like that. Also, another thing to consider, Des is six foot two. You know how tall the Bills starting corners are? Trey White and Teron Johnson are 5'11". Levi Wallace and Josh Norman are 6 foot. That's an advantage that they didn't take at all. Um, I haven't seen Des targeted on a fade route or any kind of jump ball in the red zone one time, which are pretty safe passes, especially when you have that advantage and you know your player's capable of making those contested catches. Or, if they're not in the red zone, they should be targeting Hollywood Brown on double moves after a play-action fake to get the safeties to come bite on the run And usually what what you'll say about fast guys, fast receivers in the NFL, is they take the top off a defense, which means they run past the safeties. And then the safeties have to play farther back to defend that speed receiver. And then you're able to run the ball as a result, which would help the Ravens. But I really didn't see that at all either. Um, Instead of deep routes, I really saw, I mean, I think Marquise Brown's first catch was on like a four-yard curl. So, but also instead of blaming Greg Robin, how about the Ravens GM? I haven't really seen him get any flack. 
The Ravens' first three draft picks were Patrick Queen, a middle linebacker in round one, J.K. Dobbins, a running back in round two, and Devin DuVernay, a wide receiver in round three. You know who was inactive as a healthy scratch for the Bills-Ravens game? Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram rushed for 1,000 yards in 2019, and they're paying him $4 million. J.K. Dobbins is making $610,000. So instead of drafting a running back who you didn't need, and you already have a decently paid above average running back on your roster, why not go get a wide receiver for your franchise quarterback who just won MVP? Uh, and also, they have a more than capable backup running back in Gus Edwards, so it wasn't like they were really in need of a running back. And considering the Ravens hardly incorporated Duvernay, let's pretend that they trade their third round pick um, to get a higher second round pick. The other receivers taken in round two. Assuming the Ravens, instead of drafting Devin Duvernay in the third, they trade their third um, and second to get a higher second. Chase Claypool. Heard of him? Leading rookie receiver in touchdown receptions? No? Okay. How about T. Higgins? He went to Cincy. He was 92 yards shy of a 1,000-yard receiving season. Another one? You want some more speed to compliment Marquise Brown? How about Denzel Mims? He ran a 4-3-8-40, and a lot of players are known to run faster than their draft profile. Uh, and they wouldn't even admit needed to make a trade to get Mims because they, all they had to do was not take Dobbins, and he would have been on the board. The point I'm making is that no one is complaining about Greg Roman when the Ravens are beating up teams um, with a losing record, point below 0.500. And Lamar rushes for 150 yards, and he passes for 100. But the second they get to the playoffs, everyone is complaining that Lamar is being held back and that he needs more from his team and coaching staff to take the next step as a player. It's like, did anybody watch him during his 2019 MVP season? He only had one 300-yard passing game. One. He was never going to be a passing quarterback early in his career, and he's proven that he can't do it. And they say things like, oh, Lamar could be a pocket passer. Look what he did at Louisville. Go watch his college highlights. Every deep ball he threw in college, he had a receiver open by 10 to 15 yards, and they were usually the deepest player running down the field. So all you have to do is throw it up and let the receiver go get it. Newsflash, people. You aren't going to get that open in the NFL. That's someone making a big mistake, like a blown coverage. So I'm just tired of hearing that stuff defending Lamar. Now that I got that out of the way, let's get back to the actual game on Saturday. Uh, both teams struggled on offense in the first half, both as a result of good defense. The Bills attempted like something, I think it was like 20 straight passes, uh, and the Ravens attempted 20 straight runs. So it was a defensive battle early, and they went in tied 3-3 three and three at the half. The wind was a major factor in this game. Justin Tucker, future Hall of Fame kicker, he hit the uprights twice on back-to-back kicks, uh, so you don't see that every day. Then the Bills went into the second half, and they came out on their first drive and drove the field for a score. The Ravens ended up answering back with their own drive uh, that got down inside the 10 before Lamar passed, excuse me, Lamar forced a pass to Mark Andrews that Teron Johnson intercepted and returned for a touchdown. And then it was 17-3. Like I said, I knew the game was over at that play. Even before Lamar left for the concussion, they weren't going to come back in that game because the Ravens don't play from behind. One thing that stood out to me was that even though Josh Allen didn't have a spectacular first half, the difference between him this year and him last year is that he's so much more calculated in his risk-taking. He throws his passes in a way now that if the receiver can't get it, no one can. He didn't have a lot of passes that were near intercepted, and um, it was crucial because they didn't turn over the ball, and the Ravens did, and that's really what... I mean, turnovers change playoff games, so he did a really good job, even though they weren't scoring a lot by by protecting the football. Um one thing that he kind of makes me nervous a little bit is that he holds the ball too long. 
I mean, there was a point where I was just like, Josh, just throw it away. You're killing me. Um, and it came back to fight him in the second quarter when he got sacked by Matthew Judon. And luckily the Bills left tackle, Deion Dawkins, was there to recover the fumble because uh, that could have been, like I said, game-changing play. Turnovers are huge. So pregame prediction, I had the Ravens winning 28-24. to uh, The actual final was 17-3. The Bills won. And um, so I wasn't right there. And that, that was turnovers. Turnovers and defense. That, that wins playoff games. So I've spent a lot of time talking about Lamar and the Bills, so I'm going to move on to the next game. Chiefs versus Browns. This game played out pretty much how I expected in a lot of ways. I was really impressed with Baker Mayfield this game. Um, Aside from the one interception he had, which was a late pass over the middle, um, for the most part, he was really accurate and made critical throws in big-time moments. One thing that stood out to me is that the special treatment the refs were giving the Chiefs, and I'd also like to mention that this isn't just from personal bias, because a small part of me did want the Chiefs to win, so I wouldn't have to watch the Browns and Bills face each other. Because, like I've said, they're my two favorite teams, and I hate having to pick one. Uh, the Chiefs really took advantage this game, I noticed, of the Browns' lack of talent at wide receiver. Because they played a lot of press man coverage. And, um, in my opinion, they really got away with a lot of holding on defense. Which reminded me of the Patriots when Tom Brady was there. Because... It seemed like they never got a call on their defense, and I've seen plenty of holding and other pass interferences that they would get away with because the refs appear to be constantly on their side. There was uh, To play into that, there was a missed helmet-to-helmet hit that ended up costing the Browns seven points at the end of the first half. Richard Higgins caught the ball at the 10-yard line, and he was extending the ball towards the right pylon when Chiefs safety Daniel Sorensen came in, delivered an illegal hit leading with the helmet, and it knocked the ball out. Um, bounced through the end zone, and it was a touchback. So the Chiefs got the ball at the 20. And I was really disappointed with that uh, non-call, not only as a Browns fan, but also objectively as a fan, because as a fan, I want a close, exciting game. And um, after that play, it was pretty obvious that the Chiefs were going to run away with the football game. So, yeah, I, I just, you know, I want to see a close game. And when you have plays like that that cost teams points, especially when one team's significantly better, so they already have that advantage. It's it was just kind of frustrating. Um, to me, it was I was also disappointed with the the Browns' play on defense. It didn't really seem like they had uh, much of a plan at all to take care of anybody. They didn't really cover Tyree Kill. They didn't really cover Travis Kelsey. At least pick one of them and take one of them away and force him to kind of do, do the other. I don't know. I mean, like they had a sack or two, I think, but mostly Mahomes threw it away if he was pressured. And they would just live to play another down and have somebody wide open the next play. Um, And the Chiefs really kind of did whatever they wanted until Pat Mahomes left with a concussion. Um, Which really surprised me, too, because third and one, of all the plays you could call for Kansas City, a speed option with your Super Bowl MVP quarterback is not what I would call. Not only because Mahomes isn't really the athlete to be running those kind of plays. I mean, it's one thing to have your quarterback... Don't get me wrong, Pat Mahomes can scramble... Last year against the Titans in the, uh, in the playoff game, he scrambled for like a 17-year touchdown, spun move somebody, juked somebody else, and ran it in. Um, so he's so don't get me wrong, he can run with the football. But on those kind of option plays and real quick reads, you really want a quick, you want a, yeah, you want a fast quarterback that's short area quickness, which really isn't Mahomes. And or either that or you want somebody that can make a move or tr- drop the shoulder and, and push somebody and get a yard. So it was third and one. Maybe Josh Allen, Cam Newton, uh, Lamar Jackson, somebody mobile. But uh, I, I just wouldn't put – I mean, on a speed option, you have your quarterback, they take the snap, and they scramble right, 
and then they have somebody who keeps within a pitch relationship is what they call it. So you have a receiver or a running back like four or five yards away from you within a dis- within distance slightly behind you so that you can lateral the ball to them if you're going to uh, get tackled. So there's, there's an, it's hence the option. And um, they, on third and one, the option was covered up. Mahomes was scrambling out. And then um, Brown's linebacker, B.J. Goodson, tackled Mahomes. And it, it was a clean tackle, but Mahomes' head kind of got jerked around a little bit. And then as he was getting up, he looked like he kind of lost his balance. And um, so he was taken out of the game with concussion. But like I said, I really, I just don't really understand that play call because, I mean, you could run a bubble screen, you could run the football, you could run a fullback dive, you could QB sneak it. I mean, last year they were scared to run a QB sneak with Mahomes because um, he hurt his knee on a QB sneak because he got kind of landed on awkwardly. But I mean, like if you're scared of running that, I don't think a speed option is that much better. If anything, you're, you're more likely to take a big hit because... The QB sneak, you're just getting sat on maybe a little bit, whereas a, a speed option, you have plenty of defensive... I don't know. I just... Not what I would have done there. It didn't really make sense to me. But um, So I hope Pat Mahomes is okay because it'd be, it'd be a real shame if uh, we had to watch Chad Henney play in the in AFC Championship game. Anyways, um, something else that surprised me. I was a little bit discouraged by uh, the play calling for the Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski, who's, who's had a really exceptional year. He really turned the Browns around. Um, the Browns play much better. His offense is great. He's he's really helped Baker Mayfield improve compared to the down season he had last year. But in the fourth quarter, the Browns had the ball, and it was their last possession of the game. So they really had to score because they were down. And um, they run it on first down and get stuffed. To me, it was pretty predictable. But, I mean, if you get three or four yards, it helps keeps the – down and distance manageable, I guess. So I'm not really going to gripe too much about that. But the second down play call, I really didn't like. Uh, they ran a screen pass and it got blown up. Ended up losing a yard. And then then you come out and... Well, to me, a screen pass is really risk-reward play because sometimes you get batted balls. Sometimes you get a D lineman that makes a crazy play and intercepts it. Um, I mean, if it doesn't... If it's, if it's well covered, you either have to end up throwing the ball away or take a sack. So it's just not... Um, I don't know. To me, it, w- it wasn't really a t- great time to call the screen because it didn't work out. And then Cleveland's in a third and 11 situation. And considering Cleveland's lack of receiving depth, that's just a really tough spot to put your offense in because everybody in the stadium knows that you have to pass to get the first down on third and 11. And uh, the pass is incomplete. And so the Browns had a punt and um, they never ended up getting the ball back. One thing I did like about the game for the Chiefs was how aggressive Andy Reid was calling uh, plays. I mean... Andy Reid's a great uh, designer of uh, plays. He really maximizes Patrick Mahomes' talent. But even when Mahomes went out with an injury, he just kept calling. He just kept playing aggressive. I mean, you go for it on fourth and one. Instead of giving the chance to give Cleveland the ball back and leaving it up to your defense, he, with his backup quarterback, um, throws the ball to Tyreek Hill on a little sprint option out route. And, um, yeah, so really, uh, really aggressive, and it worked out, and good for him. But one thing, I I think he went a little bit overboard, maybe with the aggressiveness at one point, though. Uh, there's, there's certain risks you take, and there's certain risks you don't want to take. Fourth and one, I think that's a good risk. A risk that I wouldn't take was allowing Chad Henney on first and 25 to throw the ball deep. Because whenever you have an old veteran quarterback, not to mention an old backup quarterback, um, they're usually expected to play the game manager role. Just protect the football, check into run plays when they get favorable looks from the defense, and make the routine plays. So when Henny dropped back and threw the ball deep, I just kind of laughed. And I was shocked because, as you kind of might expect, uh, the ball missed a target. It was 
overthrown by more than 10 yards, and Carl Joseph, the Brown safety, just stood there and waited the ball to come down for the easy interception. Um, but anyways, once Mahomes kind of got hurt, the Browns had a chance to get back in the game, but they just weren't able to, and um, yeah, the Chiefs ended up winning. My pregame prediction was the Chiefs to win 42-28, to where the actual final was the Chiefs winning 22-17. to I think I probably would have been a little bit closer if Mahomes didn't go out with the injury. Um, but it's I'm really it's it's gonna be a big topic to cover to see whether he's gonna be healthy for um, next week's matchup versus the Bills and the Chiefs. So that that'll be something to watch for sure. Saints versus Bucks. Um, this was the last game on. I really had a hard time watching this game. I was just really frustrated by the end of the game for a couple of reasons. First thing is that Drew Brees. I love you, man. You had a great NFL career, but just just hang up the cleats. Um, I was a little bit fired up about this topic too, because even though I really could care less about the Saints, and yes, part of me, uh, part of this is coming from the fact that I wanted Tom Brady to lose, but um, this game just really pissed me off. I understand Drew Brees is a future Hall of Fame quarterback, but at some point you have to realize that you just can't play anymore, and it's not about you, um, because your at this your play is so bad at this point that it's compromising your team's ability to win. Um, and Sean Payton deserves some blame too here because you can't be, he's not ignorant to the fact that Drew Brees can't throw deep. And you know how I know that? Because guess who the only Saints player is that attempted a pass over 20 yards and the only touchdown? I'll give you a hint not Drew Brees. It was Jameis Winston, the backup quarterback. Um, so if you need your backup quarterback to be throwing trick plays to be able to score because your quarterback is so limited as a passer that your team can't even move the ball then you have to put your sentimental feelings aside and bench your quarterback. I don't care who he is. Um, I mean, Peyton Manning got benched uh, during his 2015 road to the Super Bowl for Brock Osweiler because he was playing bad, and he was he was banged up and he was injured. And Drew Brees, is, he was banged up and he was injured earlier this season, and this game he was playing really bad. And you just, you just have to give your team a chance to win. And uh, it really made the game not entertaining for me because you knew every time the Saints got the ball what you were going to get. As a fan of the game, I would rather the team I'm rooting for lose as long as the game's exciting and entertaining. And this game was really... Ne- it was neither of those things. The Bucks defense knew, too, how limited Breeze was because by the end of the game, they ended up stacking the box with extra players to stuff the run, and they just played press man coverage across the board because they knew Drew Breeze didn't have the mustard to put the ball in a tight window if he had to. But apart from my frustration, both defenses played really well. Uh, I was excited. I'm, I'm really excited next week for the Bucks versus Packers in Lambeau uh, for a rematch because they already played each other week six. And that was a really interesting game too, because the Packers, they were dominating for the first quarter. It seemed like they were really going to run away, run away, excuse me, with the game until uh, Rogers threw a really uncharacteristic pick six that gave the Bucks momentum and the Packers just fell apart. Um, another pass was batted and intercepted. Devontae Adams dropped a big pass, which is rare. Um, the Bucks end up going on to win 38 to 10. So this gonna get, this game is gonna have a lot of energy for sure. The Packers have been on fire recently, and they hardly lose at home. So um, Brady Rogers is gonna be a huge matchup. So I'm really pumped for this game. But for the uh, for the Saints Bucks, my pregame prediction was 35 24 Buccaneers winning the game. I mean, the actual final was Buccaneers won 30 to 20. Uh, so I was right for the winner. I was right kind of for what I expected from the game. I didn't expect Drew Brees to be that bad. And I really think the Saints are the better team here, but Drew really held them back. That's all I have today. Uh, I know my episode's shorter than normally. I've been hitting an hour. This one's only going to be half an hour. I don't plan on making a championship round primer 
because the semester's starting this week and I'm also starting a new job. So I, I'm probably not going to have time to do that, but I will hopefully next week then make my reactions for the AFC Championship games and be able to talk about those. But um, thanks for listening. Like I said, if you like it, let me know. If you don't like it for some reason, let me know too on um, text message, DM, um, whatever it is. So I will see you guys in the next episode.